The following is a presentation by The Tabernacle, a community of changed lives. For more information regarding service times, or if you would like to make a donation to The Tabernacle, you can do so by visiting our website at www.thetabchurch.com. The Biggest Story, written by Kevin DeYoung, illustrated by Don Clark, and published by Crossway. Chapter 1. Once upon a time, there lived a man and a woman. They were the happiest people on the planet. True, they were the only people on the planet, but they were still terrifically happy. Their names were Adam and Eve, and God made them. He made them in his image, little mirrors to reflect God's glory. And like everything else God made, he made them good. It was a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. Unfortunately, things didn't stay happy and wonderful for long. On one very bad day, Adam ate from the only tree God had declared off-limits. Adam failed. It was a terrible day, the second worst day in the history of the world. A snake had tricked Adam and Eve and told them the lie about the fruit. He said they would be like God if they ate it, but actually the opposite was true. When they ate the fruit, they found themselves far away from God. They had disobeyed God's word and believed the lie of that devilish snake instead of the truth. Being near to God and having him draw near to us would not be easy any longer. God was not happy with Adam and Eve. He wasn't happy with the snake either. God put a curse on the man and the woman and the snake and everything else. He kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden paradise he had made for them. It wasn't possible for a people who were so bad to live with a God who was so good. They had to go. But before they left, God made a promise. He promised that the evil serpent, the devil, would always be at war with Eve and her children. Now, that doesn't sound like a very nice promise, that bad guys and good guys would fight for all time. Who wants to be in a war that never ends? But here's where the good part of the promise comes in. God promised that one of Eve's children, someday, eventually, sooner or later, would crush the head of that nasty snake. Nobody knew when or how, but she would have a child to put things right. Chapter 2. Sadly, things got a lot worse before they got any better. Adam and Eve had several kids, including two brothers named Cain and Abel. Abel trusted God, but Cain did not. And when God accepted Abel's gift and not Cain's, Cain got very angry, so angry, so hurt, and so jealous that he killed his brother. It was not the first murder in history. It wouldn't be the last. Things were not the way they were supposed to be. Everything fell apart after sin entered the world. Things got so bad so fast that God decided to start over. The people on the earth were terribly wicked in their hearts all the time, every day, nonstop. They didn't deserve to enjoy God's world anymore. So God took it from them. Or 
more exactly, he took them from it. He sent a flood that wiped away everything and everyone, because in all of it, it had been stained with sin. Well, almost everything. God saved one family on earth, one family that trusted him and believed what he said. Noah and his wife and their sons and their wives were spared. They lived for a lot of days with a lot of animals in a big boat called an ark. It rained and rained. God was going to start over with his creation. He was so angry with the world that hated him, but he was still at work to save the world that he loved. That's why he rescued Noah and his family. God wanted to give his people another shot. God was going to start over with a new world, and Noah was going to be a new kind of Adam. The problem was that Noah was too much like the first Adam. It didn't take long after they got out of the boat for Noah to do some pretty bad stuff himself. He trusted God enough to build an ark when everyone laughed at him. But it turns out he could just be as foul as everyone else. Even one of Noah's sons got cursed, just like everything got cursed back in the garden. History was repeating itself, whether it was Adam or Noah, the first world in the beginning or the second world after the flood, people just couldn't get things right. One time, a whole bunch of people got together to build a giant tower. They thought they could build it all the way up to heaven, but it must not have been all that big because God had to come down just to see it. And when God saw it, he was not pleased. Everyone was working together, which was okay, but they weren't working for God. And that was not okay. They were trying to show how smart and impressive they could be all on their own. They thought they didn't need God. So God mixed up all their languages and scattered the people all over the place. Things were still not going well in the world God had made. Thankfully, God was still not done saving his people. Welcome to the Tabernacle. It's the Christmas series. Are we fired up? You better get fired up if you're not fired up because we've worked really hard on this series. No, I don't want to threaten you. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad uh, that you've chosen to be with us this weekend, uh, both here at Buckley and in Manistee or, for where, or from wherever you're uh, tuned in. Uh, this is the Tabernacle, and this weekend starts our series that is entitled The Biggest Story. And very simply, uh, what we've chosen to do um, is call it The Biggest Story because uh, uh, we're going to use this Bible as our foundation. And this story is called, uh, interestingly enough, The Biggest Story. You see how we did that? All right. We're professionals here, just so you know, right? But uh, The Biggest Story is actually a children's book uh, written by Kevin DeYoung and illustrated by Don Clark. And uh, I want to read right out of the the insert here. Uh, And this is why. It says, The Bible is full of exciting stories that fill children with awe and wonder. But kids need to know how all those classic stories connect to Scripture's overarching message about God's glorious plan to redeem his rebellious people. And what this book does is it connects the dots from creation to the cross to the end of all things. 
And uh, I thought it was interesting. It said uh, um, that children need to know how to connect all those dots. I think adults need to know how to connect those dots too. And it may be a children's book, uh, but it's probably the best one I've ever read. It's got some deeply theological stuff. And so for us, that's the foundation. And what you just heard was uh, the Bible story from, uh, from chapters 1 through 11 of Genesis. From creation, through the fall of man, uh, through the flood, all the way to the Tower of Babel. And what we find with the biggest story is the biggest story is our story. That we're all caught up in this story. It's not just a once upon a time from a long time ago. The biggest story, the end hasn't come yet. It's been written, but it hasn't been fulfilled. And we're all caught up in it. The biggest story is our story, your story, and mine. And so what I'd like to do this weekend is we're going to focus in on uh, Genesis chapter 3. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there because there's so much from the beginning that's instructive for us. In fact, I'm a big believer. You've heard me say this before, those of you that have been around here. The Genesis 1, 2, and 3 tells us almost everything we need to know about the state of mankind in the world. And so even though we're talking about six or 7,000 years ago, uh, you know, I know scientists are trying to tell you millions of years ago, but those of us that believe the Bible, we believe that the earth is a little bit younger than that, right? And uh, so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3, and where I'd like to pick up will be right around verse 8. And this is after God had, had created the world. Uh, he, he created man, and he created woman, and he planted a beautiful garden, a beautiful place where there was no pain, there was no sorrow, there was no sin, there was no shame, there was no Traverse City traffic. There were no fudgies, there were no bills, there was no anxiety, there was no worry, no one was mad at you, right? There was no depression, there was no cancer. It was perfect. And he put this man and woman in the garden, and he gave them the garden, and he gave them one another. And they dwelled with God in the garden. It was a perfect place. But then as we know the story, because they believed the lie of the snake, that they could be like God and they should rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, suddenly they were filled with shame. It says their eyes were opened and they were filled with shame. And that's where we'll pick up the story in verse 8. It says, you know, after they're hiding behind fig leaves because they realized they were naked. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. And you've heard me preach about that ad nauseum. (laughs) Different sermon. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. This is pretty heavy for the Christmas season, isn't it? I showed up for the first of the Christmas story, the biggest story, and they're talking about the cursing in Genesis 3. Well, we're the tabernacle. (laughs) Glad you're here. Verse 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. This is God's word and it, and it is heavy. But it's important for us as we enter the Christmas season, because I was serious. I want to get fired up about Christmas. I want you to get fired up about Christmas. I think as Christians or those of us that are seeking God, we should be fired up about Christmas. And, and it's called the biggest story, but to most people, I don't think, if you're not a Christian, you don't understand why it's the biggest story. And why is Christmas such a big deal? Well, the reason Christmas is such a big deal is because Jesus is a big deal because he's the hero of the biggest story and that story is the gospel. So we have to go back to the beginning. And it's a big deal because Jesus is the hero of this really big story that we're all a part of. We have to see the conflict. We have to see the conflict and the conflict goes all the way back to our first parents, but it also includes us. And the fact of the matter is, is we start the biggest story with the reality that we were kicked out of the garden. We were kicked out of the garden. We were all kicked out of the garden. I was kicked out. You were kicked out. Our parents were kicked out. Every person who has ever born a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve has been kicked out of the garden. There's only one, the one whose birthday we celebrate this month, who was not. But the rest of us, we've been kicked out of the garden. That's the scripture I just read. It's the curse, the curse of sin, the sin gene that we all inherited. It says in Romans that we've all sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. There's no one who walks through these doors who's worthy to be in the presence of the Lord, myself included. And so for the friend or the person that you've invited that's like, oh, I can't go to church. I got to get my life straight first. You never will. And the rafters won't fall, at least not that easily. Because we were all kicked out of the garden. 
And, and the garden is more than just this paradise place. The garden represents this intimacy, this relationship, this, this perfect union between us and God. That's what Adam and Eve had in the garden before sin. And that's what they lost. And it's interesting, some of the verses that I read just came alive to me in just a little bit different way. It's in, in verse 19, we get those epic words. In fact, they're words that I find myself reading at a graveside or at a funeral where he says, from dust you were taken and from dust you shall return, right? That's why we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, which is also in other places in the Old Testament. Just, have you heard that before? Just because uh, I need to know that you're alive. Manistee, play along. Okay, great. Um, The thing is with dust is the garden was the only cultured place of Eden and God made it perfect for them. But when they sinned, he put them outside into the uncultured dust. So in other words, God was saying, if you don't want to be in my garden as a respecter of persons, I'm going to let you plant your own garden. And he says to Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work the ground. Do you realize how good this place was that I made for you? And now, you know what? You're going to go out there. And I think really where their sin, was the sin really eating of the fruit or was it that they didn't trust God? They didn't trust God. That this tree was off limits, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you've read the story, you know there was another tree and all the other trees they could eat from, including the tree of life. The tree of life, they could eat of that tree and live forever, plus all the other trees. I would have hung out by the mango trees because the mango is a superior fruit. No, you Michigan people don't know about it because you're all eating cherries, and I grew up in the Caribbean. Mangoes are delicious. Hang out with the mango tree. But if you like cherries, that's nice too. I like them dried with dark chocolate on them. But they could have any fruit. Now they have to plant their own garden from the dust. And that's why God says, okay, if that's what you want, you're going to go out of my garden. You can plant your own garden. You know, I was thinking about that. I was reminded of that story. We've told this story before. Uh, The group of atheist scientists that got together and they came to God and, and, and said, God, we don't need you anymore. We don't need you. We don't need your garden. We can do everything that God can. Anything that God can do, miracles, whatever, even life itself, we can reproduce in the lab and with a test tube. God said, really? Can you make a man? They said, yep. We can make a man. He said, prove it. So they scooped down, got some dirt, and God said, no, 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 no. Get your own dirt. Get your own dirt. But isn't that interesting? Isn't that what those of us that have been kicked out of the garden, what we're trying to do is we're trying to recreate that thing that we've lost? It's called the God-shaped hole. All of us, written on our hearts, know that something was lost, that paradise was lost. I don't even believe that there's such thing as an atheist anymore because I think even an atheist deep down knows that there is a God and knows that one day there will be an account. In verse 22, we we see at the the tail end that God said, uh, uh, lest they reach out their hand. Now, Now that they know good from evil, they might eat from the tree of life, so now they have to go. And I always thought about that in, in, in my 49 years. It's like, why, why would God do that? That was one of the greatest mercies of the creation story. 
Because if you think about it, now that their eyes have been opened and they're covered in shame, now that they're sinners and they're separated from God, if they could eat from the tree of life, they would be condemned to that state forever and ever and ever. So for their good, God sent them out and he sent us out on this journey, this journey that we're all on together. Before they left the garden, if you caught it in the story, God promised us a snake crusher. A snake crusher. Did you catch that in the children's story? Did you, just show of hands. Did you catch that, the snake crusher? Did you catch it in the reading here? So in the ESV it says, uh, uh, part, part of the cursing that, that, that God says to the snake is you'll, is you'll gonna, you know, squirm on your belly in the dust all the days of your life. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the offspring of the woman. That means that from that point until now, there's gonna be a war. There's gonna be a struggle. There's gonna be strife. There's gonna be conflict between evil, sin, Satan, and all of us. That's the enmity. And if you've read the newspapers, you watch the news, if you lived through your junior high years, can I get an amen anywhere? There's just about any, if you're a junior high student here tonight, God bless you. We're praying for you, right? Just hang on. You'll get through it, right? Worst years. But this enmity just marks our lives and it marks our world because we've been kicked out of the garden and now we're trying to make things work on our own. And God promised that there would be this strife, but he also gave us good news. He said that one of Eve's children would crush the head of the snake. In the ESV, it said bruise. Bruise, crush, depending on the translation. This is what this book calls the snake crusher or the snake bruiser. And this is good news. This is what is called the Proto-Evangelion, if you're fancy theological. You know what that means? It's the first preaching of the gospel. That there's one that will save us. There's one that will defeat sin, death, the serpent, and make things right. They're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, God promised us a snake crusher. And I was reading a, a book this week that was talking about that, especially how it says in the ESV, it says um, that uh, he will bruise your head, the snake crusher, and you will bruise his heel. And one scholar uh, was doing some research on how a crucifixion victim would die. And we know our Lord who paid for our sins on a cross was nailed hands and feet and his feet would be put one over top of the other and that nail either put through the foot or right through the ankle. But either way, one foot on the other. And that would take hours, sometimes days for a crucifixion victim to die. And as he died or as she died, the death came from asphyxiation. I don't want to gross anybody out. I'm just giving you the reels. Because you'd have to raise up to breathe. And by the end of that ordeal, the foot against the cross, that heel would be bruised from pushing up to get one last bit of air. 
we see all the way back in Genesis, the prophecy of Jesus. The one who willingly went to the cross to pay for your sin and mine. In fact, if you're here and you're not a Christian, that's the story of the gospel. There's gonna be spoiler alerts all throughout (laughs) this entire series because it all points to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. But his story is all about redeeming our story and our stories caught up in what our first parents did. It's what we've done. God promised us a snake crusher. And all of us out of the garden with this promise, we still think we can get back on our own. We think that we can get back to the garden on our own. I'd ask for a show of hands. How many agree? But let's not go there. I don't want to feel bad. But that's how we live our lives. In fact, that's where the pain of our lives comes from, is our hopeless attempts to get back to the garden, to fill that void that was lost. That thing that we all know intuitively is missing from our lives. It's the reason we fight with each other. It's the reason uh, uh, they're yelling at each other in politics. We think we can get back on our own. That's the reason Twitter exists and a lot of other things that are even worse. Our addictions, our attempts to get back to the garden on our own. Our adultery is our attempts to get back to the garden on our own. The reason we steal, the reason we lie, the reason we're depressed by the way, I want to say if you're someone that struggles with depression, um, there's no magic prayer for that. And I think sometimes the church does a disservice to people that struggle with depression. Depression's real. It's a, it's a sickness. But I think it's also related to the fact that people that tend to be depressed, they long for the garden in a way that some of us don't. And they know this world will never measure up. Because we long to get back to the garden and our attempts to get back to the garden on our own will always let us down. And they will always let down the people all around us. That's what, that's what chapter 2 was about. I don't know if you caught that in chapter 2. But uh, it, says, uh, it says right after the Tower of Babel, it says they weren't working for God, talking about the people. And that was not Okay. They were trying to show how smart and impressive they could be all on their own. They thought they didn't need God. You know, the sad thing about that is that's not just for people who aren't Christians. Christians do that too. I do that. I've done that. I don't want to do that a lot, but I know that I've done that. I've tried to manage things on my own, control things on my own. Live in such a way that that really all I'm trying to do is get back to the garden, to get back to that place, to feel the fulfillment. You know, you hear people say it like this, I just want to be happy. And then the church comes back and says, it's not about happy, it's about joy. Joy is the garden. But even then, what does that look like? I can be a Christian, I can serve, I can be baptized, I can give, I can tithe, I can pray, I can go to the foundry ministries, I can be a part of everything and do a lot of churchy things, but still waste a lot of time and energy trying to get back to the garden on my own. 
I was thinking a lot this week about the story of the prodigal son. And if you're not familiar with the story, it's a story that Jesus told. And, and uh, the way Jesus told this story, there was, once was a man with two sons, and the man was very wealthy. Remember this story? And, and, and it's a very simple story. It's one of his most famous stories that the younger son decided he wanted his inheritance early. And shockingly, the father gave him his inheritance. And the younger son went away and wasted all that money, party lifestyle, prostitutes. He squandered it until he found himself living in a pig pen, eating the scraps left over from the pigs. And it says that finally the young son came to his senses and he said, maybe I can be a servant in my father's house. So he began the journey all the way back and it says that when his father saw him from a distance, he ran to him, threw his arms around him, put his cloak on him, gave him his ring, threw a party. And then we know that the other son, the older son, came in from the fields. Why is there a party? And the older son is angry at the father and he's angry at his younger brother and he's mad because there's a party and all this money was wasted and, and he also offends his father. His father has to come out of the house to say, hey, why don't you come into the party? And the older son says, you know, I've, I've slaved for you and you've never even given me a young goat. And this son of yours, notice he didn't say, my brother. He said, this son of yours comes back and you give him the fatted calf. And you remember the, the father's words to the older son. He said, my son, everything I have is yours. But your brother was lost. And now he's found. He was dead. And now he's alive. And I think that every person in this room and every person in Manistee and every person who's listening, we've been one or the other of those two sons. And sometimes we've been both. We've been looking for the garden, chasing it with everything the world can offer, just like the young son and coming to the end of ourselves in a pig pen. Or we've been in the father's house just as lost trying to get everything from his garden by being a good person, you know, following the rules, make sure you give enough money, make sure you serve, doing all the churchy things, wearing the mask. Hi. How you doing? Fine. Right? And all of them are our attempts thinking that somehow we can get back on our own. When the fact of the matter is, it's only God can bring us back to the garden. Only God brings us back to the garden. Only the father can welcome the younger son home. Only the father can point out to the older son, yeah, you lived in my house and you followed the rules, but you only loved me for my blessings. You didn't love me for the relationship. You didn't love me just to be in my presence. You loved me for the bling. You loved me for the stuff. And I see that story profoundly here. The father and his children. 
You know, it said in verse eight, and this hit me again this week. That's why I love Genesis one, two, and three is there's always uh, uh, something new that you can grab out of it. And this was new for me. It says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. How is it that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden if the Lord is spirit? So I started doing some research. Well, they always took walks with God in the garden. Do you know that there's no other record before the fall of God ever walking around with Adam and Eve? I mean, I've even preached that before. Before the fall, Adam and Eve, they took, I mean, they walked with God in the garden. No record of that. It's not until they became lost. It's not until they disobeyed. It's not until Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Why am I excited about that? Because God the Father went looking for them. They heard the sound. Some, some theologians called this the first time. We're having a light issue. We're just going to keep going. <laughs> they say this is the first time that Jesus shows up. The pre-incarnate Christ. Jesus shows up because they heard the sound of God walking in the garden. It's the same Jesus whose birthday we celebrate at Christmas. Remember what the angel said to Mary? You will call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Would you just say that here in Buckley, Manistee? Would you just say that out loud? Say, God with us. us. Only God can bring us back to the garden. And the story begins with him kicking them out. But before that happened, he came looking for them. They heard the sound and there he was. You see, God is always about closing the gap between us and him. No matter how far we've fallen, no matter how judgmental we get, whether we're the older brother, the younger brother, whether we're in church or outside of church, whatever state we're in, God loves to close the gap with us. He does it in Genesis. He did it when he sent Jesus. And you know what? At the end of all things, you know the subtitle, it says, you know, how the snake crusher brings us back to the garden because that's the promise. He will close that gap once and for all. This, this gap that's my sin that separates me from God, my shortcomings that, that always leave me trying to create my own stuff out of my own dirt, which is always going to let me down. Here's a spoiler alert. This is what it says in Revelation. This is, this is after, after Satan has been judged, after God's called his people, not just to heaven, but into the new heaven and the new earth. In John's vision, it says, in chapter 21, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then down in verse 3, it says, Behold, get this, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's the garden. Not the streets of gold, not the crystal throne, not rainbows and unicorns. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is a picture of what we all want. This is a picture of what's offered in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, whose advent we celebrate, the biggest story. And it goes on in Revelation in verse 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life. The tree of life. You see, the story is we sinned, got kicked out of the garden, he promises a snake crusher, All of our pain and anxiety are us trying to build our own gardens, trying to get back on our own, thinking we're so smart, but only God can bring us back. And right there, what I just read you, someday there'll be a garden, a garden in a city, in a city of God's people. And in the garden, in the city of God's people, there it is, what we were separated from, the tree of life where we will dwell with him forever and ever and ever. That's just the first two chapters of the biggest story. I hope you'll come back next weekend and the weekend after and Christmas Eve. We're going to go all the way through it. If If you're fired up like some of you, I know you will. I don't get anything out of this, but you can get this on Amazon.com. Just don't do it during prayer time. All right, it's, yeah, it's, it's rock solid. If you're a grandma or grandpa, get it for your grandkids. You might learn something. But I'm wondering if you'll bow your heads with me. The bands or the worship team, they're gonna come out. We're gonna, we're gonna sing. But before we do, if you just bow your heads. I don't, I don't know every person here and I don't know where you're at, but I know that you're a part of this biggest story. And I know that the story God is telling is our story. So I just want to pray for us right now. Lord, would you speak to our hearts that which you want us to hear, the specific word, the verse, the thought, something entirely different that you want us to hear. God, we believe in your spirit. And God, we celebrate. We celebrate God with us this season. Some of us have been around the block for a while and so Christmas has kind of lost its luster with commercialism and we can be a little grinchy. But uh, God, would you help us to remember again as a church, as people, as families, young and old, that it's about Jesus, the hero of the biggest story, the story that you're writing. God, would you help us to respond in a way that you would, that you would have us to respond and that we would bring glory to you in that. God, I ask all of this in the name of your son, the snake crusher. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree, say amen.